Welcome to the Candletales podcast. We are sitting in isolation, removed from one another in our own little office as well. Sarah is in the office. I'm in my room. Welcome. We're going to chat about some Fianna stories and uh, we're going to answer some questions, get back to a bit of feedback and let you know what we are doing in the Candletales realm of creativity. Uh, Sarah, what are you up to? Um, what am I up to? Um... What am I up to? <laughs> <laughs> you, we are writing uh, the beats and a story for Battle of Entry. Oh yeah, that's what I'm the, up to. Yeah. I'm I'm thinking about the king. <laughs> I, I, I had a whole thing in my head yesterday about the king of the world. <laughs> and like the psychology of the king of the world. I was getting really into it and then I went to bed. <laughs> well, that's all right. I mean, yesterday was the start of summer. Beautna. Yeah. Uh, so, no, uh, the day of, or the very first day of summer, rather, I should say, and all of a sudden we were reminded, well, I am reminded, but that a failing about the town, Dingle, failing in the Beautin, I should say, uh, it would have been on this weekend and we would have been down there performing in Dingle, and our plan was to perform the Battle of Entry as a live show. And we've been composing it now as a radio show instead. And yeah, a radio a play. Podcast. Radio podcast thing. We're Ra- just playing around with loud noises. Radio play is is the is the yeah. genre we've decided on, which is kind of yeah, more more dialogue voices, more um foley sound effects, foley. more more musical stuff going on. Um yeah. That's that's what we're doing. So we're going to be releasing that uh, over the couple of weeks, which is a lot of fun. Uh, it's keeping us into the reading and researching of all the books and stuff. We're going to do some kid stories because I live with uh, Rue O'Shea who's been going mad uh, doing the sound effects and voices of um, uh, a lot of the stories that we put together. So we have 10 stories already recorded now. We'll be releasing them on YouTube and other platforms. So stay Ooh. tuned for that. Speaking and of platforms, speaking of platforms, we are finally on Apple Podcasts. Yay! Uh, we're on Apple Podcasts. I mean, listen, it was a little hard to get onto. Uh, but yeah, we're on Apple Podcasts and we are, yeah, there. Um, which is great. Apple Podcasts has been a little tricky to get onto, but there we're there now. So the whole podcast is up there for people who have iPhones or you know, like listening on Apple Podcasts rather than on any of the other platforms, you know, you can tell people now that we are there, which is great. Yay. Happy days, happy days. Now, we are, of course, live streaming this right now, just so that we can get a few more insights and people commenting um, uh, and asking us questions, which is always nice. And we'll be releasing this podcast as uh, one of our regular podcasts anyway with the rest of them. So we're talking about a few specific of our last stories. We're actually going to be talking about two stories today. We're going to be talking about Deerwood and the Goddard Country Under Wave and the Battle of um, Sleeve Gullion. Hunt. So we are... Sorry? The Hunt of Sleeve Gullion. Oh yeah. It's not a battle. It's not a battle. It's a hunt. So in terms of the Dermot and the Daughter of Country, country Under Wave, the two stories really, basically the reason we're still talking about them is because we're still on a Fianna buzz. 
and we can't really get it off of it because well it's out the nets somewhere it's trying to run around and go outside within five kilometers and, <laughs> and that's all i'll say about uh, restrictions in your homestead and i mean we're just still on a fianna buzz so we want to keep on looking keep on digging and keep on enjoying the fianna i mean Dearmer and the Daughter Country Under Wave is a bit of a mad one because it starts off with a Kaliak and yeah. maybe it's summertime. We don't quite know. Well, it's is interesting because it? the Kaliak and, and, and the changing of the seasons is kind of a, a a whole thing as well because the winter time is in, and when we're talking about summer and winter like this is traditional Celtic calendar stuff um, which I think is like a month ahead of official <laughs> modern um stuff so in terms of the Kailuk and in terms of the winter time in Ireland that is from Samhain to Bealtaine uh from the 1st of November to the 1st of May that's winter um that's our the winter half of the year spring in Ireland begins on the 1st of February um because that's Bridget's day uh, but the Kailuk is associated with the changing of the seasons and she's also associated with a lot of sovereignty myths. And uh, in a lot of them, she's she transforms from hag to beautiful woman. Um, and apparently there's a whole European tradition of the Lothi lady, which uh, Caitlin Moon was researching and realised actually starts in Ireland. And Ireland is also the only place where I think the, the Kailuk turns into a beautiful young woman. And in most countries, it's the other way around. Um, so it's just kind of it's there's all kinds of turns into an old hag. Yeah, yeah, which we have a couple of stories like that as well, like the Mongans, the end of the Mongan story, which is one of the king stories that we'll be telling over the summertime, is you know has a has a, a beautiful woman turning into a hag, and I'll say no more about that because spoilers. Um, but yeah, spoilers for these thousand year old tales. Um, <laughs> but uh, yeah, no, the the Kailuk has occupies a kind of an interesting position in in Irish mythology and folktale uh this old woman who's very very powerful and magical and has I suppose the capacity to give all kinds of gifts and blessings uh if she chooses to in terms of uh before we delve too much into the transformation of the Kaliak in this story just in terms of Beltana uh, in terms of the fact that you know, the pagan rituals of jumping over the fire, it would have been two nights ago, um, on Beltane Eve, and running your cattle through to protect it. There's There was traditions of gathering the morning dew for your face or for whatever good luck that's, charm you had. That's February, it, it I think, isn't it? Start. That's in March. No, it's, it's, it's Beltane as, well. as well. So there's a yeah. whole gathering, gathering of um, the dew in the morning uh, for, like, skin care and... Uh, Guys would catch uh, snails, put them in flour, and let them trail off and see if they would lead them, them to their true love or the woman they'd marry. Uh, random stuff. I don't know. I was reading some a bunch of stuff, but I mean, it's 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 really significant in terms of like the structure that, that we have on our lives that we kind of just suddenly kick into. Oh, it's summer, and I guess I just reminded of the fact that it's. Oh, it's, it's summer without a lot of festivals that are usually going on right now, you know, and it's a big, ah, oh, yes, uh, running around and outside and kind of that being removed. You still have this urge to go outside and this kind of like revival in the tree. 
just greener and the birds are singing and all of a sudden you're just it really is a, a chance to wake into the the season of it and kind of going right yeah okay we're into the the light half of the year and it's a half you know it's, it's really nice to look at it that like the next half of the year that's dark half starts in selwyn and run, runs to the following you know mm-hmm. um so it's kind of a nice click to have in my head anyway of oh we've just hit into the lighter half things get brighter this half mm-hmm. amongst the dark clouds that are brewing it's nice to know that there's a nice half uh, of light that's coming yeah um, i think you're a very summer person i am i am i think i think you're a very summer person <laughs> you 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 like being outside you like running around you like your skin actually goes brown in the sun as opposed to some of us who go crispy and sore um <laughs> I, <laughs> I'm also realizing as you're talking that I'm just like, ah, yes, it is time to be itchy and too hot. Um, so I'm yeah, not like that's definitely for you. For for yeah, I'm I'm definitely a dark half person. I I love Halloween. I love Samhain. I love winter. Um, I don't hate summer. No, it's not. Well, sometimes I hate summer, depending on the pollen count. Sure, but. <laughs> Into this oh, I, abundant age, anyway. The definitely, the definitely hate festivals. It's not their fault. Well, There's too many people. To stop you from saying that. I know. Anyway, you never can't. mind. Never mind. You big introvert. So the Kaliuk is walking along. She's all old and grey, not afraid of herself. And we're looking. This is all of a sudden. The Kaliak, which is like a, a harbour, a bit of doom. She's brought some prophecies of death before. She seems to be pretty cranky in lots of various stories. This particular hag, not necessarily a hag of any location, it's just the Kaliak. And she's walking along in search of somebody to break the curse that she's under. She's not really sure what's going on, but she finds the Fianna. And she's hoping that they're going to break the curse that she's under. And then she has this transformation into the beautiful Colleen. Um... Yeah, yeah. It's, kind of a, it's kind of a sudden one, right? Well, it's a it's a funny one, like in terms of the the fear of women and the fear of kind of, you know, I'm I'm thinking of oh, what's the name of that book? I think it's from the bitch to the blonde, and I'm trying to remember the author the authors of it. But basically, that there's a whole lot of there's a whole series of like tropes and folktale and mythology that are really about a kind of a coded fear of female sexuality. Like, you know, sirens and mermaids whose bottom half is monstrous and their top half is beautiful. And the 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 particular way that this that the Kayuk in Irish mythology behaves is very sexual. Like she is she wants to come into the house and go to bed with a young man. That's how she gets to break her curse. And like all of these really strong, brave Fianna warriors are afraid and disgusted by her. And it's, there's something about like, there's got to be something in there about maturation and like a mature man not being afraid of female sexuality. Because you see it in the Nile of the Nine Hostages story as well. It's when he lies down with the Kalyuk. It's after he lies down with the Kalyuk that she becomes a beautiful woman and gives him the kingship of Ireland. And in this story, it's after Dermot lets her into his bed, although he keeps a little rigid blanket between them, that she turns into a beautiful young woman. And like pretty cunning on on Dearmouth. Like you're just gonna just gonna have a little line between us. Just don't yeah. touch me with your with your with your with your ick. Um, ick. 
But it's it's after he lets her into his bed that she becomes the beautiful young woman. And so there's something about like, I don't know, I, I don't know exactly how to land what that means. But I think there's something interesting in there about like, yeah, fear of female sexuality and and the rewards of confronting that fear. Um, that's that's yeah, kind of interesting. Yeah, gets an opportunity, Oshin gets an opportunity, uh, and they both close the door in in front of the the Kaliak and the Hag for fear of her grossness or age yep. and all of the whatever descriptions that we have in that story of the Kaliak looking as especially grow as you can be. But I do find it interesting that we never get a description of a saggy, testicled old man. No, because... It's always... You don't don't get a really old, thick man. Yeah, but but that's what I'm... The fear of sexuality? That's what I'm talking about, because, like, that's one of the, you know, one of the descriptions of the Kailuk that I came across and and have used in every story since, and I think you have as well, is is the the pubic hair being visible dangling down between the ranks of the cloak. (laughs) Because because we're not disgusted by male sexuality in the same way in our culture. There isn't a level of revulsion associated with it where there is with female sexuality and it goes right through everything. It goes right through the way that like we don't tell women with their correct names for their genitals. You know, the, the idea that like vulva is a dirty word, but penis isn't, even though it's like yeah. they're, they're technical terms. But people get really squeamish about when we're talking about women uh, and women's bodies. And it, it goes like it has serious impacts, like in healthcare, it has serious impacts. And like, you know, you think about the level of revulsion there is around kind of periods and period products. And like, it's a big deal for a guy to buy his girlfriend, you know, menstrual products because it's seen as like this terrifying, grotesque thing. Um so no, we don't have the same level of revulsion around men and men's bodies getting older. We do have that level of revulsion around around women and female bodies getting older. And I think it's it's really interesting to see how that's kind of dealt with in Irish myth. Because in Irish myth, it's kind of, it's like it's acknowledged and it's there. But it's also like, if you can get past it, that's the path of the hero. The, the the you know it's right. whereas in other mythologies you're not encouraged to get past it you're in, like you think of Greek mythology and the the kind of Medusa characters that they're they're just they're allowed to just be terrifying um yeah. whereas in Irish mythology kind of transformation. yeah you don't get to just see it as terrifying you have to you have to confront your own terror and go through it and then you get everything. And like that's Dermot gets magically everything. He gets a magic girlfriend who can give him everything. Where's the where's the place for the nicest where's the best place for a house in Ireland? That hill over there, boom, there's a house there. You know what I mean? She's she is a magic girlfriend who can give him fucking everything. Except apparently she doesn't get puppies. Chipped in there and says because histories and stories were written by men, and, that, and that's essentially what we're talking about here is like the fact that we're looking at these uh, stories from from potentially a perspective. And what I've never really pieced together before is the Kaliak being a representation of female sexuality that men are f- afraid of, um, and that's kind of something that that definitely makes sense now a lot more 
when, when, I, when, I, when I ask myself, why isn't there a male equivalent to the Gaelic? There's lots of Druids, there's lots of esteemed, uh, wise old men, but there's, you don't get the Gaelic. Whereas the Gaelics seem to fit both. They, they offer out wisdom. They, they sometimes are the save, saving um, uh, trope in, in, in a story or bring redemption to the character or bring doom. In this case, it's a woman has, who has been kind of randomly cursed to be to be old and wizened and uh, walk Ireland until she meets somebody who is yeah. able to restore herself to her beauty and acknowledge her as a human being. That's essentially what she's asking for. Yeah. It's just to be acknowledged, to be led across the border of someone's lodging, just to be able to, and like, Chris, don't we all know how important it is to just go around and call in for a cup of tea? Now that we don't yep. have to do that anymore, um, and like, and that's the thing. She's been refused her right to be a human because she's been seen as disgusting, and she's been put in this place of you're gross. You have to stand over there at arm's length and lost all of her uh, humanity and, and uh, being in touch with. Actually, society. when you take the female perspective in these stories you can get a gross version of an old man. And actually we had it when we were talking about Dermot and Gronje. Because we talked about revulsion, yeah. we talked about Gronje's revulsion of a young woman agreeing to marry an old man and then realising what that actually meant. And and yeah. I think it's, you know, that's kind of an interesting one as well because we've, we have also told this story in the past from her perspective. And this curse starts with her refusing the advances of a man that she's not attracted to. And I think you could get into a discussion about revulsion there as well. And like, this is his punishment on her in the same, which is the same as the setup for the Sive story. She refuses the advances of a Druid who turns her into a deer. Um, And and in both cases, it's like, in both cases, it's like the woman is equated by these men with her physicality. And so his punishment to her is, is to change her physicality so that she is worthless. And her way of getting back to humanity is actually by finding someone who acknowledges that she has worth, even if she doesn't have beauty of female form. So without being objectified as a beautiful woman that she has that she has worth, which I just think is kind of an interesting. And it's interesting that this kind of comes up a couple of times in the Fianna stories. Uh, it's it's a while back now since we told Sive, but there is a telling of Sive in in our podcast. I can't remember what episode it is right now, but if anyone's interesting in list, interested in listening to that for kind of parallels to this story, it it isn't wildly different in kind of setup. So the the story goes again. It, it's different and the daughter daughter of country underwave, uh, our ki- daughter of king underwave. Um, and you can listen back to it from last week if you haven't listened to it already, or you can just hear us chat away about it. Because essentially, what happened? There's a couple. There's two more things I want to talk about in, in his story. Dimer goes. Um, he messes up basically. He breaks his promise to her, and for some reason, the curse comes back on her, and she's deathly sick. So he has to go and rescue her. Um, so that's kind of he breaks his word to her and has to charge off underneath the country under wave. And then she gives him this impossible task to cure him. Go get the cup of the healing cup from the king of the plane of wonder. But you can't get it essentially because the border of my father's land is divided by a huge river that you can't cross. Enter little red man 
who carries Dearmid across the river because he can. Yep. No. Please explain, Little Red Man, in this story. Where did Little Red Man come from? What is going on? It makes no sense. You're supposed to take a year to sail across it, and suddenly Little Red Man can run across the yeah. river with Dearmid in his hand. He is a he is a god from the machine. He is a Deus ex machina. That is that is what he is. Uh, and this is something that's kind of like a thing that is very criticised in sort of modern storytelling. That's the thing that you don't want to do is write yourself into a corner so that you have to have like God come down and, and save people. But it happens all the time in mythology. And that's actually where the term comes from. I think in Greek theatre, uh, you would have the gods come down and intercede and they would be, you know, come onto the stage. They would come out of the machinery of, of the stage. Um, which as far as I know is where that term actually kind of originates um, but yeah it's kind of seen as bad storytelling these days to to have a deus ex machina although it still happens all the time um, but it happens like all the time in mythology because I think in mythology you're always dealing with forces that are beyond human agency and human ken um, and modern storytellers don't like that because we are, we live in a, a much more mechanised world where we like to think that we have control over everything. Uh, times like these are very good at showing us that that is completely incorrect and we are walking around in a fantasy when we think that. But, um, you know, you, you want to you tell a story these days. The aim is to tell a story where your heroes wrestle with the problem and resolve it themselves. Uh, but this is just like, it's it's another feature of, you know, Irish mythology and mythology in general that like outside forces will just turn up and sometimes they're helpful and sometimes they're not. And in this case, Dermot has an ally because of his motivation. Um, But really, it's just because. Because... <laughs> Because the storyteller telling it is like, oh man, I want this to be hard and I want everyone to understand that this is going to be really hard, but also I don't want to tell the story of him taking a year to cross this river. So, shortcut. This is true, this is true. And we're a shortcut and we're into a little bit of like, okay, and need a trope, but also need to show a bit of magic, need to get another character in, need to have something. So it is a little bit of a twist and a little bit of a trick. Now the question of who is that character comes up has come up a couple of times when we've told the story he's a couple of options right he could be a few different people I think you I think you told him as Manon on McLear once um but yeah uh he's not explained you know he's not the he's not explained as, as as who he is he's just a little far dark <laughs> oh do you have a theory I think sorry I um no I I, 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 I uh, we talked about it uh, it was Angus Oak that I, I actually named him as um, because he was his fa- foster father in so many stories. So I had, I basically put two. I was like, all right, he has to be a foster father figure. Now, in, um, in on Gods and Men, the Lady Gregory version that I, I, I uh, used for this version again, I went back and just, oh, she explains him as a man who's of the Fae who's come to help Dermot out because his heart is so hot for the healing of another that he wants to help him so he just kind of finds a way to throw yeah. out of it um, we have had a, a question in um, <laughs> so Marie McGee says a great story with lots of twists but early on Dearman should have told her why the pups were so important to him so this is the this I agree this is, goes back a step to why they why they have the fight but I also think like there's something really interesting about 
the, the way that the the fae and the fairies and the Tuatha Dé Danann are sometimes depicted in folklore and in storytelling and they don't have the same kind of morality as humans and I think often that comes out as a kind of a lack of empathy she doesn't intuitively understand why puppies are important um, which means it is probably a really good thing that they did not stay together and have lots of babies because I think she would not understand why a baby was important because that's the kind of like lack of empathy that's actually a little bit indicative I think it's a little bit indicative of her kind of lack of humanity that there's actually a huge there's there's a disconnect here because like yeah they they don't communicate particularly effectively I agree with with Murr there where she's like he should have just told her these puppies are important to me because I love them um and she should have got that but who needs it explained to them that puppies are important <laughs> Yeah, in fairness, any any small animal, baby animal of any size um, or, or whatever, it's just like don't just don't give away the baby things. And um, I guess yeah. if you have to be explained that, then you you're really you're, you're out of touch with a bit. That's of a, that's now, a pretty I, big word. Like just as a, as a blanket thing, if somebody doesn't get, you know, like. If somebody doesn't again, doesn't prote- isn't protective of small creatures, that's a pretty big red flag right there. Again, to counter that, I mean, like she's she to put her to put her or to take her position in it. She looks out and she sees the leader of the Fina coming towards her, asking for a puppy, and she's like, "Yeah, well, of course." And then one of his friends and one and like each time it just seems like well, it's just such a small thing to give away because. Uh, I'm part of kind of this world now and you want this apparently I who am I to stop you from having it and she's just kind of abundant in her giving and very yeah. uh, gracious and very like wanting to please the others and I guess like yeah maybe that's out of, out of touch with a bit of humanity sure. but it's but I know I, the fact that she wants I take give. your point she's trying to fit in she's trying to fit in and she doesn't really understand what the rules are and the rest of the Fianna are being a big old bunch of trolls. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they're not. They're not helping. It is, helping like, it is not cool. Like they are. They are. They are trying to. They are actively trying to break them up. <laughs> yeah, they're, they're, they're messing with her. They're 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 totally messing with her, and they're totally messing with him. And it's it's not really that cool. Um. So. Last point on this story. Yeah. Is the ending is kind of heartbreaking. It's it is always sad. Um, and it's this big old Dermid with the love spot, beautiful Dermid Divina, saves the woman of his dreams, and in saving her, his love for her evaporates. And it just goes back to the, the futility of love, how quick and easy it can be, the fact that she's still in love with him, which is a real kicker, and she looks at him and says, oh Dermid, the love you have for me is gone. He's like, yeah, yep. Like, oh, I, I think I, I think we, we all felt it as, or, as soon as we hear it, we, we all feel it in different ways or whatever. But I certainly like when you when you tell this story, I'm just like, oh, ah. we both felt that, and also kind of like been the one who had to say that. Yeah, I think I think most people who've been in relationships and been through at least one breakup have been on 
one side or the other or both of that and both of them are awful because it's yeah it's a case of like oh yeah sometimes that happens but it's such an amazing like I I, I love this story because it gets that it gets Mm. that even like um, you know the (laughs) um, you know the the morning after a a brief encounter you could be in love with someone the night before and then that morning you're like I really need this I'm not not into this anymore (laughs) but I mean like it it, it encapsulates a mood that is so human and so, because we get infatuated, we get excited, we get super, like, we fall in love really easily, some of us. And <laughs> I was going to say, speak for yourself, kid. <laughs> but, but it's a really human emotion, I think. I do, yeah. infatuated, especially a younger mind. It's a very young thing to fall in love very, very hard, very heavily, and fall out of love just as quickly. And it's just, it, it's jarring when it happens, but to see it portrayed in myth as this magic spell that he is so gloving in a way that he offers his love in order to to heal her. It's a hugely generous offering and yet is devastating as well because it we feel it and we connect to it because it's so automatically it hits the nail on the head as how we actually behave. Which which I don't think myths always do. Um, um I think they I think they yeah. I, I think they this one certainly does. Uh, there's a question in from Charles McCoy who says, do you think that that may have to do with the Celts' propensity to allow divorces on either side as opposed to other cultures? And yeah, I think so. I think there's an acknowledgement in the mythology that this is a thing that happens. And like that was a, Absolutely. that was, you know, the tradition of hand fasting, which was that you got married for a year before you got married, married, uh, was also a thing in, in Irish law. And in early Irish law that like you were allowed to have a almost a trial marriage for a year beforehand. Great idea. It's a great idea. Like, and like stop doing that. Thanks very much. Well, now we have cohabitation, which people often do. Um, but like you also you did have like you, you had divorce. Divorce was a thing that could be brought. You could bring a case for divorce on either side for various different reasons. People kept their own property. There was no kind of enmeshing of property that we that we like like we do now. Um, you know, women retain their own property, men retain their own property. So yeah, I think that there's a kind of a. It's quite possible that this sort of you know we often talk about the somewhat cynical nature of Irish mythology when it comes to love, that there's very few love stories where people fall in love and live happily ever after. And I think that's true where you have a culture where divorce is okay and kind of normal. Um, happily ever after isn't so set in stone. Whereas in other cultures where divorce isn't legal, marriage is the end because whether you're happy or not, that's it. You can't get out of it. So the fairy tale ends there. What I think it alludes to, um, to, to give another answer to Charles McAvoy, uh, McCoy, sorry, um, is that the Celts had an awareness of a, a, a more sophisticated, potentially a more mature awareness of human emotions that were portrayed in stories, whether it had to do with technicalities as divorce or laws or rights or anything like that. Maybe, you know, that was something that might have come out of it, but it just, it definitely highlights and shows an awareness of 
a more complicated array of emotions that human beings go through and portraying this in in story equates to basically teaching and learning from it and being able to to show that human love is a very complicated emotion and one that can stop and can end um, and so then potentially the the opportunities for divorce and laws to come out of that kind of society would be built on foundations of a more mature awareness of of human uh, emotions i guess um, yeah i mean I, I think i think that's i don't i don't want to get into any kind of cultural comparison because we just don't have the knowledge to say what other cultures exactly, level yeah. of maturity is so it's kind of, but i do think it's it's you know it is interesting to note that these are stories where yeah the Celts did allow allow divorce and and so yeah it's just kind of it's kind of an interesting one um shall we move on to the hunt of Steve Gullion yes indeed um this is we're... well done I yeah. haven't heard you tell this one in ages um I haven't told this one before more details. well you told me it but I hadn't, you hadn't told it live yeah that's live. what I mean uh, this was kind of an interesting one for me because this is the first time that I've told a story on the podcast that we haven't told in a live show first, um, which was interesting because I definitely realized how much I rely on telling a story live, uh, especially the first time you do it, um, because, you know, knowing the beats, but then saying it in front of an audience uh, really, really allows you to feel your way through the story and feel like what's landing and what's not landing. And I just kind of had to do that without the the feedback that you get from an audience. So it was kind of interesting. I found that I found that more just it changed the process a lot for me. Um, but I I I it was okay in the end. I got there. <laughs> it was just it was just kind of a it was a funny one to notice that that was really kind of like ah oh, ah oh, oh, what am I doing? Um, but yeah, the hunt of Sleeve Gullion. Um, yeah, hadn't told it live. Had told had told you it in the way that I'm kind of like oh there's a story where this happens, um, but hadn't told it yeah. as a performance. Yeah, no, it's funny because that process, I guess, it becomes, um, uh, I guess, a different form of of storytelling, you know. Yeah. Um, because you don't have that that response, um, which is interesting. But I, I, luckily, we still have the story. You still have your telling of it. Uh, it's the, it's one of the few times that you really f- see Fionn being very, very debilitated yeah um, well I, I it happens a couple of times it happens a couple of times because it happens in the in the the uh, we have another episode of the podcast which is the hostel of the quicken trees um, where Fionn gets stuck to the floor um, there's another there's another story where they go into a cave and get stuck to the floor he it happens to him actually a fair bit <laughs> I'm just thinking through Fiona's stories well, now because if you think about Kuna's house as well, the hospitality of Kuna's house, that's another one where he gets nearly stuck to the floor by supernatural kind of entities. <laughs> Poor Fionn gets stuck to the floor a fair few times, um, or or it's equivalent. Stuck, but, yeah, but he's uh, he's not on his own in those things. They, that's they, true. Like, in the in Kuna's house, there like there's this one dude who kind of he's never really in any danger. Yeah. Um, with the other like with the others. 
with Spell and Austin Wicked Tree, he gets rescued and there's a big fight and they eventually get out of it and they fight in the Kittle King world and stuff. In the other one, again, he's with a few of the other guys and they're all stuck and they're all worried. This one, he's isolated. He, he's all of a sudden, he's turned into an old man and he can't, he's not even recognised by his own dog. Yeah, he, that's true, actually. He's, he's totally alone and he's totally vulnerable. And I think, like, there's something in this story about, you know, the fear of ageing. Um, that's really, really strong because Fionn, uh, and we were talking about this earlier, one of the, one of the, there are various different versions of the death of Fionn McCool. Um, and, you know, he may have died at uh, the Battle of Gaura and he may have not died and gone under the hill and kind of is, is sleeping there and waiting for, for his, his reawakening. Or... Um, there's a story where Fionn leaps over a gap. I think it's on the Boyne River. He leaps from cliff to cliff um, and there's a very, very narrow ledge that only lets one foot on it. And this is his test that he does every year on his birthday to make sure that he is still physically fit with the knowledge that on the day that he won't make the leap, he will plunge to his death. And that's how Fionn McCool feels about getting old. Sure fire away not to feel old and crickety. Just keep on jumping off the cliff until you fall and die. Like you know? Yeah. Um that's his that's his way of um that's his way of being and that's his kind of way of dealing with his own fear of aging is to just go like, Okay, as soon as I start failing, I'm like this is a this is a conditional suicide. As long as I'm not failing, I, I get to live. And as soon as my body starts failing, that's it. Uh, which is really kind of harsh. Um, but I mean, we know some people like that. Hi, Tony. <laughs> hey, Dad. Thanks for becoming a Patreon supporter, Dad. We appreciate it. Well, just as somebody who, who, who frequently said, you know, when I get to that age, take me up on top of a mountain. Um, <laughs> I was I was very much thinking of, of our dad. I was very much thinking of our dad when I was recording this story, actually, um, because I just kind of was was thinking of, of somebody who is very, um, you know, physically fit and physically active and takes such joy in, in physicality and in movement and in sport and in, you know, um, all of those kinds of things. It really made me think of, of Fionn running through the forest uh, on his hunt, you know, and really just kind of the, I really wanted to kind of play up that contrast of being in the full of your youth and then suddenly suddenly being hit with this aging uh which is really sudden I mean, and really awful yeah I, I mean like it's actually a beautiful comparison um to draw because and i'm sure we all know people like it but our father is certainly um i think he's dealing with an aging right now it's the slow gradual decline yeah, you know, because which he's is aware of arthritis and it's, it's, a, it's a very natural thing everyone goes through it and you just like get that bit more crickety that bit less and, and he's you know he's dealing with it pretty well he's, he's not he's not old yet um, as like he'd like to say uh, he's still getting out about his back or his ankle or his elbow or whatever it's it is but always been like, the case to be ripped from like you say a, a man who's fully able and fully has no problems who's running through the forest all of a sudden to be 
to be put in the body of a male Kaliuk, which we don't actually have, apparently. Yeah. Um, but that's essentially what, what he's done. He's yeah. become old, withered, decrepit, sore, in pain, that can't move, and grey as anything. And I think to your point earlier, the the dual horror of this is that he is also alone. Like, his, his he's already... He's away from the Fianna, and that's fine when he's strong. But when Bran and Skjolan don't recognise him, I think that's really terrifying. Um, you know, he's completely alone and cut off from the Fianna. And he's left sat there, too weak to walk home, with no dogs who know him, no people who know him, nobody to help him, nobody to support him, until the rest of the Fianna find him. And what do they do when they find him? They think he's a fisherman and they threaten to kill him. Nice one, lads. <laughs> Like Queen Shimakronan is like, oh, who's this Who's this weird old dude? Have you seen Fionn McCool? And if you don't tell me right now where he went, I'm going to stab you. Um, it, that's, yeah, that's, yeah. A, that's a yeah. whole thing. Like the, the, the aspect of him becoming very old is, again, it's one of those uh, things in mythology you find you're like, all right, that's a really global... Uh, very something you uh, can identify with. It's very universal, yeah. And that's clearly a a fear everybody has is getting old, getting sore, and feeling the aging process happen. We all feel it. We all we all know we weren't as sharp as we were. We were. Aaron has stalled. Twenty one. All right, it's just because he was shouting. The video comes. Uh, the the video what? freezes when you shout. <laughs> Your face. Let me pick up where I left off without shouting. Yeah. I'll just, I'll not shout. Uh, their, their solution here story is bug one of the fae and batter on his, um, on his gaff, basically, and try and dig him up and annoy one of the fairies until they'll turn him back. Well, I think... I, there's there's uh, there's something that I want to talk about before that, which is why he gets enchanted. Because um, he gets enchanted. Like I, I had this was one of the things that I struggled with a little bit in telling the story, and it wasn't until I found a version of the story that gave a satisfactory explanation that I was happy to record it. Um, because there are versions of this where it's the two sisters, Anya and Malukra, who both try to seduce him and he chooses Anya and this is Malukra's revenge. And that didn't, that didn't connect for me as a motivation. And maybe it would for some people and maybe that says more about me. But then I found a version of the story that said that no, Anya and Malukra were sisters and rivals. And Anya had a guess on her never to get involved with an older man. And that that's why Malukra did this to Fionn McCool. He's completely collateral to this power struggle between two sisters of the two of Daydanon. And like, there's something very mythic and two of Daydanon-ish about that, where it's like your absolute worst fear, the worst thing that could possibly happen to you I didn't even pick it to get at you. It's just... It just so happens to be the way of getting at somebody else. And that's those kind of... That's where the two of Didanon come in as these, like, 
huge inhuman forces. They don't even care enough about him. She doesn't even care enough about him that this is his worst possible fear. She's not doing this to target him specifically. She's doing this to target her sister. Because her sister has a gesh on her and if her sister is is involved with Fionn McCool and actually we don't know if the gesh is, is broken by this technicality. Maybe it is and maybe it isn't because he, he doesn't stay an old man so we don't know. Um, but yeah. yeah, it's it's a I I kind of love that. I love that aspect of the two of the Danon. And I also think like, you know, for the times that we are in right now where we are all feeling the pinch of huge forces that are outside of our control um, that we're not used to in modernity. Like our ancestors were very used to this. If you had a couple of weeks of not enough rain, too much rain, you know, you would feel it immediately um, how at the mercy of nature we really are. But I think most of us in, in the modern world are removed enough that we can kid ourselves that that isn't the case anymore. Um, and, and things like this current situation remind us of our place, uh, which is very vulnerable. And I think, you know, you see people, free, you can see people freaking out about that. People are really like, you know, saying, oh, no, it's a conspiracy or, oh, no, it's it's the government. It's it's not. It's nature. We are we are vulnerable to nature. We are creatures that are here as guests on the planet. And we are we are shitting on the carpet, so to speak. And we are we are, you know, this is this is us getting put in our place. Um <laughs> Am I wrong? I'm not wrong. <laughs> yeah, come on, humanity. <laughs> Don't shit on the carpet when you're a guest. It's a metaphor. Listen, the best metaphors work on several levels. Several, all of the levels. All of the levels. Come here, I think this is actually pretty good to wrap up. Anna, a message in there saying it is very interesting that comparison with Greek myth and how um, Greek myth women are rarely are given agency. We inherited misogyny from the Greeks. No, we inherited a lot from the Greeks. Greeks. Um, and I'm glad to see people laughing uh, and responding. But I also just wanted to say that I, I, I listened to a very good podcast called uh, Lorini B. I'll put the link in here. Oh, and I have, they have great podcast on and it's folk uh, folklore um, study, and they, your man uh, has a little look at Dean Kecht and a comparison in Greek mythology, uh, and quite a similarity. We kind of do an episode on Dean as well. Mm. But like, yes, of course, there's an awful lot of mythology in Greek myths. There's an awful lot of everything in Greek myth, though. I um, yeah, so, I like, I the, the comparison to quite. Yeah, I, I, I'm not I'm not comfortable with blaming the Greeks for all of misogyny. I do think there is a lot of misogyny that that was written down in Greek mythology. But, uh, you know, it that is a that is a that is a thing that happened um, on a nearly global level at some point, you know, around 2000 years ago or maybe maybe longer ago. Um, and I don't think it I don't think it originated in Greece, but I think that. 
that fear of and att- and desire to control women and women's bodies and women's sexuality it's not it's not a greek thing <laughs> uh but we're still we're still trying to deal with it um and i think irish mythology is an interesting one in terms of the way that it deals with it all right, um, look, I yeah. think we'll uh, take our advice from uh, our, <laughs> our lovely mother who's saying, maybe leave that one there, lads. But I think we will leave it there. Uh, thank you very much for tuning in and listening uh, in with us. We recap there on episode 36 and 37 of the Candid Tales podcast. If you haven't heard those stories or want to check them out, there you go. We'll be catching up with ourselves now. We'll be releasing a new podcast on Wednesday and we'll be about that next uh, Saturday as well because that's the crack. So, yep. We're doing and we're going to be studying a lot more of Battle Venti and we're going to be releasing content on Patreon page uh, about that and our process of devising the show and we'll be getting some kids stories out to you soon as well so stay tuned keep her lit, stay safe, stay healthy and don't shit in the carpet and you can support us on Patreon if you like what we're doing and you can follow us on YouTube, on Facebook, on Instagram and now on Apple Podcasts and if you like, you know, there's two ways of supporting us. You can do it directly on Patreon by throwing us a few quid every month or the PayPal button on our website by for throwing us a few quid once off. Or you can share and sharing and telling people about it and commenting and liking and subscribing also really, really, really helps us. So thank you guys so much for tuning in. Thank you guys for listening. Thank you for your contributions. And uh, yeah, keep it lit. Till next time.